I'm Lieutenant Pat Doring, Crisis Negotiator from TwoGuysTalkingStarWars.com, and you're listening to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast via the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. S.H.I.E.L.D. It's an organization that both exists and doesn't exist all at the same time. For those in the know, S.H.I.E.L.D., the Strategic Homeland Intervention, Enforcement, and Logistics Division, is the counterterrorism and intelligence agency run by Director Nick Fury. Its global reach, with thousands of operatives with differing skill sets across the globe, continues to grow. S.H.I.E.L.D.'s activities have been documented for a long time, both in comic books and feature films. Those legendary tales now transfer to the smaller screen in a weekly series on ABC via Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., a chronicle of the findings of a crack team of S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. This is the detailed review of those chronicles. Set your life model decoy to take care of life's business for now. It's time for another episode of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast from Two Guys Talking. The ability to paint pictures of the past require creative paint. What's more creative than the colors, memories, and power of your mind? Inside this episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., we revisit the past, times we know, times we've contemplated, and moments we'll never, hopefully, ever dream of. Will we and our heroes escape the horrors, memories, and events that unfold inside this episode? We'll find out inside this episode of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, a complete, detailed, and always educational review of each and every episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC and Hulu streaming. This time, Season 6, Episode 6, Inescapable. Greetings, everybody. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Nicholas J. Hearn, your other host. Nick, some super quick housekeeping. It's that time of year to remember why we are here in the U.S. And the best example of that, in particular inside the Marvel Cinematic Universe, is Captain America. Do you remember where you were when Captain America the movie came out, Nick? Geographically or emotionally? Both. I was living in South City, St. Louis, Mm -hmm. eagerly awaiting the arrival of this film emotionally it was this was going to be the film that uh, makes or breaks marvel in my mind bellwether for uh, sure mm-hmm. thor thor had done a great job balancing that whole science and sorcery thing by just saying asgard is another planet mm-hmm. they're they're essentially aliens so they're tougher they're stronger and their technology looks like magic okay cool well here you've got a whole movie that is pretty much just a flashback mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How are you going to pull that off? And not only a flashback, but it's also World War II. I mean, you could just make a really great World War II movie and stick Cap in it, but tights, shields, how is this going to work? I think the first semblance of satisfaction for me came when I saw the outfit. Mm. Because, as we know, it had, the story has been done. Mm-hmm. And it's been done <laughs> terribly. Yes. And the centerpiece of just about every single piece of terrible that's ever been perpetrated against Captain America has had a centerpiece that looks very much like a stupid uniform. Right. And so the when the very first series of posters came out and across the word Captain America you could put the word functional. Mm. That instantly changed the game. Yeah. This is all wetting everybody's appetite for our perspective review of Captain America the First Avenger, which we'd like all of you to go listen to right after you're done listening to this episode over at twoguystalking.com forward slash Captain America. All right, Nick, there's one thing that's inescapable during this episode, and it's that it's time to review it. Wait a minute. It's not a nightmare. It's a dream come true. Oh, Nick, you're so English. Sponsored by Acoustica's Mixcraft Recording Software, Blogger's Bug, and the St. Charles Office Center. A lit floor set. You might think that lighting a floor and then making an entire set of lit floor is a small feat, especially in Hollywood, when the reality is, especially for anyone that knows lighting, It's not easy. 
And when we started off this episode, I was instantly excited to see where they were going to take us. Yeah. Because it's it's a small set. Let's let's be plain, or at least the piece of it that they show is small. Um, but what they're creating here is no small set, and it is no small feat. Mm-hmm. And so I was really excited to see where they were going to take us with this. Oh yeah. The peril of flittering CGI-ness. You and I have lauded this show, I think, forever mm-hmm. about the quality of the special effects that are traditionally presented, and uh, e- even the stuff that we talk about that alludes to or directly refers to something that we see inside of a cinematic presentation in regard to what's seen. And one thing that has always bugged me, and it's bugged me since probably the first Lost in Space movie, is when CGI is inserted because, let's just CGI it. It's not a hatred, but that I need to feel tolerance piece of CGI is a bit emulated here on the front end when we've got a Tara inside the scene providing the a, a very blatant but worthy info dump with a, a 3D animated portion of the planet and then the appearance of a table, the, the laboratory set. Right. And, and a couple of other things. One of the things I've always not liked is that. Hmm. In particular, when I hated it is when they started changing out the masks inside of MCU-dom. Uh, the first time I, I noticed it, I know that it was way before this, but Ant-Man. Okay. A- Ant-Man, where there was an actual physical class, but it looked like the mask actually came undone. That was awesome. And then it started to morph into this where... It's not actually on him, and then they just CG on it and put in the sound effect, and everybody just kind of says, okay. And then we got to Black Panther, and Black Panther then using the nanites, blah. Yeah. And the words nanites and CGI need to have a much more, uh, some sort of different relationship than what I've got in my mind. Because the instant I just start seeing things being piled on, it looks kind of cheap to me. Yeah. I've always been a fan of, you know, popping off a mask and then pulling it over your face. I think it's cool. And I, I love that a lot of that has been left inside of a lot of the advertisements and the past ringings of Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. That, however, is also changing, in particular with the advent of the Iron Spider and Tony Starkdom. Right. The front end of this had some trepidation as we went in because of that. How much of that piling up out of nothingness cgi flittering are we going to get and thankfully we didn't get a lot of that in this at all and no and i think in in my opinion i believe that the little that is used right at the start of this is for the audience's sake mm-hmm. we are in a computer world that can create anything from your mind they show you how it works with the things appearing mm-hmm. like they're being built. And then we stop doing that. Yeah. Just by showing us that little bit in the first, what, two, maybe three mm-hmm. minutes of mm-hmm. the episode, mm-hmm. you never have to show it again. So for me, I wasn't I wasn't too worried. And I am grateful that we didn't continue that trend throughout the episode. A question of privacy and safety. A lot of these things that I've written down here in the front end of the episode are actually kind of piled up onto each other because it's that very first couple of minutes mm-hmm. that this is all kind of info dump collected. And I love that they bother to take the what sounds like a cybersecurity view, and Gemma in particular does. I love that she takes the, the perspective of, well, that doesn't sound very private. She doesn't say private, but it's not private yeah. and it's not safe, just like all cybersecurity stuffs. And I love that we take that view of the information that's going to be delivered because it get, really does give you a completely different view, but an important perspective on the information that's going to get dumped. Mm-hmm. And I like that a lot. It helps cement the fact that this is an alien machine and it's not meant for organics. Mm-hmm. It's meant for chronicoms to help info dump all at once. Mm-hmm. This is not how it's supposed to be used on organic. Enoch is our voice of reason because he keeps trying to remind everybody, uh, bad idea, guys. This could go horribly wrong. But the fact that we set it up here saying, hey, no, 
not a good idea, not a safe idea. It, it kind of plants the seed of, guess what, guys? Things are going to go wrong because this is a human brain. These are two, two, two human brains, and they've had a lot of the shared experiences, too. If no one would have explained what the machine actually does, we would not be lost. Speaking of which... Talking Tech, the brain-sharing platform, or also known as Cerebral Fusion Machine. So the CFM, BFD. <laughs> <laughs> this is cool. This is cool. It is and absolutely cool. I think that the most important piece of what's being showcased here, if I'm not mistaken, is a very simple transparency wave graphic that is put on the plastic that is above both brains. Mm -hmm. And that's it. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, and I'm not it's, kidding. it's a table. There's, they're laying on the table. <laughs> with some lights. There's some lights. You've got that nice little uh, archway over their heads mm -hmm. and the cool LED things going on. Just showing, oh, brain function. Good. Yeah. Oh, simple. Yeah. Sim yet alien. Yeah. What I also appreciated, too, and we'll talk a little bit about this in a couple of other points, too, but the theatricality of what you see in regard to that device mm. and a lot of the other things that go on inside of this because as much as I hate me some in a bottle shows <laughs> this is an in a bottle show there's no there's no question about it we're going to talk about it during one of our very last points inside this episode but there's no question at all if you were curious this is an in the bottle show that goes yes. absolutely nowhere except everywhere we've mostly seen before and maybe a couple of sets that have been appropriated from either something else or akin to something else brought into camera frame that's it great work and we're wondering what you saw inside this episode that might be your talking tech moment let us know what you think by going over to our website that's agentsofshield.tv fill out the quick web form and tell us what you think information flow propels the solving of the solution which guides Fitz to the front end of this episode serves as an info dump. There's no question. Yeah. You've got oh, yeah. The, the CGI info dump done. And when they pop out, back out of there to explain exactly what's going on with the machine, you then understand instantly what is going to happen inside this episode period. And it's, it's almost like lighting a firecracker for this episode. I, I thought it was tremendous. You know exactly what the two of them have to try and concoct by the end of the episode. And now let the firecrackers fly. And I loved it. I, the, the, the preparation for this episode in storytelling form was a, as good as the beginning of any race of any kind that I've ever seen. Mm. Whether it's the Indy 500 or a horse race or insert any one of the other number of races that I've ever seen in my life start. The front end of this is a really, really great testament to what is going to come and that it's going to be really, really satisfying. Yeah. And they tell you at the front end. I love that. They warn you. They, they set you up with, if these two people could just sit down, focus on the task at hand, create all the mechanical doodads that they need, everything would be fine. And to a chronicom, that's the logical course of yeah. how this is supposed mm -hmm. to happen. But again, these are human brains. These are also two human brains who have a history together, and one of them knows things that the other one doesn't, and vice versa. I, I like your example of a, a firecracker. For me, it's more of long of a, an M80 with just a little bit longer of a fuse, mm. because you would think that things aren't going to escalate so quickly at the very beginning of the episode, mm -hmm. but they do yeah, in surprising ways. Yeah. I would, again, to continue the firecracker analogy, I'd almost go like a bottle rocket. Because you got the fuse, then you got the you expelling of the propellant, yeah. and then you got the pow at the yeah. end. A, a very interesting case study in how to prepare a story that I think a lot of television shows could take a giant whopping bite of to understand how to lay things out on the front end. And then, I'm not kidding, tell people what you're going to get mm. because it's really, really satisfying. A theatrical visit to a child's bedroom. This is wonderful. 
And I was really satisfied with where they took the direction of Gemma suddenly becoming a little girl and then escaping through the hole underneath the laboratory table that then leads directly to her bedroom. Yeah. And the stupid, simple transitions that are offered here. Mm -hmm. Nothing showcase like some sort of digital, reasonably inexpensive CGI process that allows us to transition from the laboratory table to the bedroom. It's not that. It's not that at all. Yeah, it's, it doesn't it have is, to be a lab. It is a, a hole in a piece of wood that she scurries through and Fitz kind of scurries through also, but then stops and then come, pops back out. And then he tumbles through. And then when they come through on the other side inside the bedroom, next to him on the ground is the reverse of what you would see if you'd gone through that hole. Right. Terribly theatrical and 100% viable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it. Especially this show. I actually have seen something very similar to this uh, years ago. Uh, Any fans of Joss Whedon's Buffy the Vampire Slayer, there was an episode towards, I want to say it was the end of season four, where the gang, it was, they had just defeated the big bad by using some magical spell that connected them all. So in this episode, the final episode of the season, they have a, a dream, and it's kind of a shared dream almost. And just like a dream, how, yeah, there are parts of a dream when you remember your dreams that seem like they were real life, but then there are weird transitions that don't make any sense whatsoever mm-hmm. in real life. Well, mm-hmm. in that episode, Joss Whedon actually direct. I-, I believe he directed the episode. If not, whoever did direct that episode created those strange in the dream transitions to different places. Mm. Like if you needed to go to your living room and you're already in your bedroom, well, you go through the closet door and you move the clothes through and you're walking through some clothes and there's some clutter and then there all of a sudden you're you're where you want to be. You're where you need to be in, in your narrative, but that's not how you get to your living room. Mm-hmm. And that's how they pulled it off throughout that episode. This reminded me of that old episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, if we're taking this much time to really get into how you represent your mind mm-hmm. in a computer, a 3D computer world, mm-hmm. this is perfect. Yeah. This is absolutely perfect. Yeah. Of course, The Little Girl's Room reminds me of Monsters, Inc. Mm. And the wonder of that film and how interestingly presented that would be were that ever made into, say, a high school play. Mm. And any time that our very expensive show appearing on ABC and Hulu streaming tethered to the Marvel Cinematic Universe decides to take these tiny little steps to make theatrical ways to present things, I love all of it. And then the dark chocolate book. Just when you thought we'd never revisit dark chocolate book inside this series. How about them apples? Wow. How about them apples? And I love that, wow, this is really interesting. I'm so glad we're reading it. And then, whoop, they they close the book, and everybody is instantly reviled by the book that no one should be reading. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's like one of those happy little cameos that happen in a movie or something like that. You're Mm -hmm. not expecting it whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And then there it is, and it just brings back all sorts of memories. From season four. And question marks. Yeah. And question marks. Because, uh, again, I remember that we used it. I remember that we talked about it. I remember that it was ominous. I remember that we shouldn't be reading it. And then I don't remember a whole lot more. Yeah. And and I love that. It's a tether back to me wanting to now go back and re- try and remember exactly what it was. And that means either looking it up on the internet or going back to watch previous episodes. Right. So mission accomplished without question. The one-two punch of death and marriage and a Coulson uppercut. Man, this is one of the most powerful, brief scenes I've seen on television in probably the last decade. Because within, is it two and a half minutes? I don't think it is. Within two and a half minutes, you're presented with the fact that Fitz dies, that Fitz was married to Simmons, and, oh, by the way, Coulson was not only dying, he's dead. Mm-hmm. Dude. I want to say that it, yeah, it's, it was more than two and a half minutes. Not much. It felt like forever, though, 
thanks to blubbery man flesh over here, <laughs> was not expecting any of that. And then here it is, and all of a sudden, I'm glad I was sitting in the room by myself. Because had my wife walked in, I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the... <laughs> And then Colson walks in, and I'm just like, nope, I'm done. I'm, game over. I, I'm yeah. game, o- game over, man. Game it's over. Totally game over. But but one of the things about it is is that shortly after this scene happens, and I'm composing myself, it's one of the things that I appreciate about this show that not the ha-ha jokiness, but the ability to use levity to help ease the tension yeah. of a dramatic scene yeah. does happen, and you're able to breathe again you're able to wipe your eyes blow your nose and continue with the episode with a smile on your face yeah yeah and and a sense of satisfaction yes because it's been delivered i totally agree with that there's probably five or six instances of that inside this episode Mm. which was absolutely written this i have no question in my mind that those are written and it has become a piece of formula that i hope continues Mm. oh yeah yeah because it is terribly terribly satisfying The effective presentation of a college dorm room. I thought that the makeup and hair effects were not only one of the most tremendous pieces inside of this episode, but the dorm room scene in its entirety is just glue. It's 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 wonderfully done and it it sticks to the roof of your mouth when you want to talk about it and remember it in your mind. Mm-hmm. This this whole thing of visiting things that you may have probably even thought about and they may have even mentioned inside of previous episodes or vital moments inside of previous storytelling and all of a sudden they're manufactured in your mind. And my last 25 seconds of dialogue is what they're using to construct this entire episode. Mm. And I love that. Yeah. It, it's, the, it's the sense of personalized centrific nostalgia inside this episode that absolutely gets you and you and you over there it's all directed nostalgia and i i think especially at two guys talking we we are masters of conveying exactly that yeah and that's why i got so much out of this episode i think not only that, but we're also taken to a time before we knew these characters, mm. and we're already we're in a, the sixth season. So much has happened to these characters. The ability for these actors to then go back and portray their characters to the way they were then, yeah, reembody, and then just literally slip yeah. right back into present day characterization again i don't understand why our actors from this show are not getting nominated left and right for acting accolades because holy shit man yeah to be able to do that and make it look seamless that's talent yeah the marching introduction of leopold there is a particular piece of audio production that's used inside this episode and you and don't initially, notice it until they point it out to you. Then you go back and re rewatch yeah. part of that episode. Yeah. And you realize it's been there. Yeah. And 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 previous to this, it's just like a rapping. Mm-hmm. Uh, like a rap rap rapping on your chamber door. And it, it becomes more pronounced and then suddenly it starts becoming hypnotic. And then it starts becoming a motion sound. Mm. And then you think it's somebody beating on something. And then suddenly it's not somebody beating on something. It's the march of boots. And what a brilliant move yeah. all of that is, especially inside of a, a memory-induced, personalized re-embodiment of past memories and nostalgia. I, it's, it's just wonderfully crafted. Yeah, the, the way that they handle this by literally stating that Leopold is still inside Fitz as, you know, his darker self. I love things like that. That harkens back to Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which is one of my favorite stories of all time. Mm-hmm. I love the whole the whole concept yeah. where that story is concerned. I, I, I like his massive shirt and giant eyebrows. I thought that that's... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and his very well-manicured <laughs> beard. Yeah, yeah. 
because you know all Hydra high ups have to have that well manicured beard. Right. But the thing is, is that after the framework and and Fitz became Fitz again, but had to live with that. We saw a little bit of that in in season five. His resolve. He was a much harder individual. He still had the softness inside of him, but but he relied on things from be, that experience of being Leopold to get him to the future, mm -hmm. to save Gemma and the rest of them, and then get them back home mm -hmm. and save the day and, you know, eventually die. Yeah. Okay, well, that Fitz is dead. This is a Fitz who hasn't had to deal with that yet. Mm-hmm. And now here we get to see how he's been dealing with it. He's compartmentalized Leopold and kind of just, no, no, he's back there and I'm not going to worry about it. Well, guess what? Now you're in a machine that allows your brain to create whatever it wants. And here we go. You've got you've got Zig Heil Fitz. Yeah. And yeah. he's scary. Yeah, super scary. And I, I think what's really interesting, I, I continue to forget that all of the imagery that they painted with Hydra for that entire season, and then what they've also painted inside the MCU just in general, mm -hmm. is superbly, incredibly Third Reichian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what what I also remember, too, is for those that remember A Few Good Men, the movie with uh, Tom Cruise and directed by Rob Reiner, if you remember Colonel Jessup and how Jack Nicholson was able to portray Colonel Jessup, uh-huh. Every time that I see Leopold, I always think of him saying something to the effect, you need me, you want me, and we're not wrong. Where the things that Fitz had to pull off to make the future happen were able to be pulled off because he, we needed him mm. and we wanted him. So it's true. And make that's, that is the definition of a compelling character and why you need and love that character. What did this episode just turn into? Now, I saw The Ring, I don't know, like a decade after it came out. Something crazy. Because mm -hmm. yeah. it's, it's, not, it's not my Ballywick like at all. And I think I saw it accidentally. And I think I saw it alone. <laughs> and I, 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 I've, I've been very plain in my, my cinematic history. I, I don't like scary movies, and it's not because I'm scared that someone like this faux gem is gonna pop out of a wall and start cricking her neck and stuff. But I, it, it, it's not me. I, I, I don't, I don't like those movies because they just don't make me feel comfortable. And I wondered for a moment what, he, what, what, what exactly the hell is going on with. Of this yeah because i was looking for something else to fly out of the box especially inside of a little girl's room i i would not anticipate a demon ring girl by the way it's Gemma, to pop out of the box mm. in fact i didn't even note that it was Gemma until at we got first, further yeah. along at the episode same here i i was like holy crap that is some great makeup i that is scary yeah. looking and and it's not until later on in the episode when you actually hear her speak and you get closer to her face that you go that's freaking Gemma. Well, and that's what made me like it. Hmm. Because prior to that, if they'd have just turned this into the, hey, I've got a great idea. Let's turn it into a pseudo ring horror film. Yeah, write that shit. If that's as deep as they were going to go with this episode, ripcord. Hmm. But they don't. No. It goes much, much deeper. And then on the other side of the scale, they've put Leopold to give you right. the other side of the horror dance. It's a wonder strike thought here. And the, the presentation is done wonderfully because every single time I see her, no matter when it is inside this episode, I instantly get the I am reviled feel. And that's what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. Mission accomplished. Right. Every single time. Me being the horror guru that I am, you know, I am the host of Two Guys Talking Horror. Mm -hmm. I loved the horror aspect of this episode. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I also saw it for the deeper meaning that it was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. This episode goes from two people trying to solve a problem to two people trying to solve their problem. They can't escape. Because really, it's all about escape. It's not about the time travel. It's not about fixing things for the Chronicoms. Mm -hmm. It's escape. Well, how do we escape? 
they're not going to be able to be on the same page to escape until they deal with their issues. Mm -hmm. And sadly, they're in an apparatus that allows their memories and whatever they think about to pop to life. Mm -hmm. They've got to deal with their demons. They have to battle their each other's demons and their own demons. And, and it becomes this physical representation. For Fitz, it's Leopold. It's his darkest impulses, his animosity towards everything that's not science, given life. And for Gemma, it's all the things that scare her and bother her since she was a child. Uh, again, very repressed. She needs therapy. You're so English. One of the reasons why I find this episode so fascinating because, sure, if you just look at it, oh, it's a scary, scary monster that pops out of a music box. Sure, okay, fun, fun times. But when you look at the psychology that they're actually dealing with, these two people who have got history, major, and I'm not even talking about since we've met them in the show. We've seen, we see it back in college, back at the university, the, the Shield Academy. These two people have history. And they've got a lot of repressed issues for each other. Even though they love each other, they've got a lot of issues. Mm -hmm. And for us to be able to see those issues dealt with, and dealt with in an action sci-fi fantasy show setting like this, come on, what more can you ask yeah. for? Give me more popcorn. Yeah, and for them to both be able to stand right in front of what they're witnessing but then also stand outside and then provide commentary mm -hmm. on what both see, but also their opinions of both perspectives. Give me some of that popcorn too, man, because <laughs> how do we how do we get in line for more? I, I want more, yeah. and it's all delivered here a thousand percent. Revisiting a team construction moment. Just when you thought this episode couldn't possibly get you more misty-eyed, au contraire, mon frere, Insert Coulson and insert the initiation of Coulson and Fitzsimmons and insert the pieces, parts, moments that you always wish you could have been there to see. And oh, by the way, here they are. Mm -hmm. It's awesome. Yeah. It's it, awesome. It, it did not. It did not get me as much as Coulson's first appearance Agreed. in this episode. Uh, this one, it was nice to see. It was like, oh, OK, because remember, we only saw. Ward mm -hmm. and May get recruited right. in the first episode of Agents of Shield. Fitzsimmons was already a part of the team and they you know, they come in and then you realize, they oh wow, it's piece. it's right. two separate it's people. Two people. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. And of course yeah. we play that joke here again. Mm -hmm. Twice. But for mm -hmm. the first time, technically speaking, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's how I felt about Clark Gregg in Captain Marvel. You take him out of that movie means absolutely nothing. But it was nice to see him in that more innocent, doughy-eyed Coulson that we were first introduced to, compared to you know our our hard-ass Coulson, the Coulson that I've seen some shit and I've been brought back from the dead. Yeah, I hated that anyway. So <laughs> I I did. I, I hated Phil Coulson inside of Captain Marvel. I thought it was worthless. It was almost as worthless as having uh, Nick Fury's eye scratched out by an alien cat. But we're not talking about right. Captain Marvel here. We're talking about <laughs> Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. From horrific to heroic in a flash. This is brilliant. Again, you go from that dire horror moment where I don't want to be watching anymore to instantly, <laughs> how did this giant black man get into my frame? And the answer is, I don't care, but I want to see more. And gimme, 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 gimme. And it's it's wonderful. It's yeah. absolutely wonderful. And the, the the neat part is that all you had to do was just think about it. And you never thought of that. All you had to do was think of it. Oh, yeah. And all you had to do was think of it. Oh, oh yeah. Right. The ring girl and Leopold share a glance. I wasn't quite sure what was getting pulled off here on the front end. <laughs> At first I thought, like... Was it the was it Ring Girl going looking at Leopold going, mm, what in the hell is this? That that's what I thought it was at the beginning, and then as we as we transition towards what is the outcome inside of this episode, yeah, I have a completely different mind think as that as that progresses. Well, you wonder you were, it was like okay, so they they've both got Fitz and Simmons trapped. Are we going to get a team up? Are we going to get the super villain team up? <laughs> 
are you know their their inner demons going to team up to try to get what they want and and, and you're kind of waiting for that it's like this is the natural progression it's either they're going to team up to get what they want or they're going to fight each other and whoever wins gets to go after the two of them as well those seem like the only two options but there's a third there is a third option <laughs> Flooding, flaring, and facing everything together. The containment pod scene, it's like a, it's like a circular mirror mm -hmm. for the entire series. Because you're gifted all of these wonderful things. The difference is that the mirror is only seeing Fitz and Simmons' perspectives shared collectively with your experiences of you watching what's happened to them. Yeah. It's tremendous. It's absolutely tremendous. The pacing of everything that is conveyed from every single character inside of every single portion and segment and fractured flashback that you get inside of this is an amazing effort of writing. Mm. And to go with that that concept of, of the fractured flashback, you want to know what makes this scene so perfect is the simplicity. Mm -hmm. It's they're trapped... Mm -hmm in a box that's filling up with water. Now, one would think, and maybe it was because they didn't have the budget, maybe it was written this way and they just were like, oh, shit, we don't have the money. Just put them in a box. It'll be, it'll be, oh, it'll work. It'll save money. I don't think, I, I, I want to think that this was written the way that it was because the other way that I'm about to describe is just too cliched. So follow me here. What could have happened and which would have diminished my enjoyment slightly would be because they are in a world that is just made up of whatever memories they're having is during this argument, what we could have had was the nice panning camera around the two of them on that nice little lit platform that they started off at in the beginning of the episode. And as they're bringing certain things up all around them, scenes from those episodes of the events that happened would pop up because they're remembering them. And of course it would then culminate to the two of them realizing, all right, yeah, we both got problems. We both love each other. What, why are we, why are we yelling at each other? And then snap back to all, you know, all white around and then they have to face their demons. Now that would have been visually interesting, but that would have dipped our toe to the ankle our foot would go all the way and it'd be the ankle we'd be hip deep in a clip show mm -hmm. that would be clip show nightmare right there mm -hmm. visually interesting because not necessarily the your average type of clip show but still clip show-esque so i'm glad that it was they just kept it simple yeah and i, I think the, the the biggest part of what you're conveying here is something i hope that uh, frankly, all of the actors, but in particular the actors that play Fitz and Simmons, mm. really take with them on their career journey. Because when you can look back and know that you're the centerpiece of an episode like this one, yeah, that that's accomplishment. <laughs> Leopold and the Ring Girls' final moment. I didn't see this coming at all. <laughs> like, I told you there was a third option. <laughs> <laughs> The, the third option is not one I would have ever even contemplated at all. And then the, the, the fun part is, you've already mentioned this several times, but it is, it's again, one of those many things that they hit on throughout the episode as it continues, and it is terribly satisfying. Even the ones you don't contemplate, where they're, they're giving you dire circumstances and either a, a satisfying or terrible solution, and at the end, there is this little loft of humor Yes. That lilts you into the next piece of whatever's going to be delivered. Mm -hmm. That is exactly what we get here with Ring Girl and Leopold getting together. Right. And and also that very bold, in-your-face, literally moment between the two of them where they're kind of turning their heads sideways and everything else about the episode or about the about what's transpiring here. It's it's wonderfully done. Funny thing about it is is that when you think about it, it makes perfect sense. They love each other, you know, Fitz and Simmons love each other, so why wouldn't their inner demons love each other too? I, I mean, it really does make sense when you think about it that way. It's the equal parts that I'm messed up, mm. you're messed up. 
Mm. We know that we're both messed up, so yeah, we fit together perfectly. Well, so do their inner demons. So it's actually, it's kind of, it's kind of sweet when you think about it. Five minutes and 33 seconds equals the entire episode. It really felt that way too. The The pacing inside this episode is relentless. Yeah. The, the reason that the the title inescapable works so well for this episode is not because I'm, I'm caged by what happens with their minds. It's because the inescapable truth is there's only going to be 43 minutes. <laughs> right. And it's terrible that there's only that much time for this episode because it was all delicious. Yeah. And this is also where I wish, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall where I don't know that they do full cast reads of episodes like this. I think they read them and then they shoot them. But man, the opportunity to talk with some of your castmates after you're reading through this script. I would love to have been a fly on the wall yeah. to hear what they're all thinking about what they see and, and what they have to do inside this episode and how it impacts character arc and the season and the mm-hmm. rest of it. That's It's just so much fun to contemplate that. Bold action taken, and now we must go. Embrace me. This is terrific. This is terrific. Not only did it almost become a talking tech moment, but it's also another opportunity to see Enoch become once again the centerpiece hero of rescuing what's going on, but still not being sure of exactly what's going on. Mm -hmm. And I love that sense of uncertainty, but knowing that we are moving forward always. I I think it's it's a great characteristic to write a series in. I cannot recall the last character that was introduced in this show that lasted for more than a handful of episodes Mm -hmm. that was not developed well. We keep on adding to Enoch. I mean, again, I've said this many times during this season's reviews. I didn't think we were going to see Enoch again after Mm -hmm. what happened. No, me too. I thought he was done. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. We thought he was done. Mm hmm. I am so thrilled that we get to revisit this character again and and see a different type of growth mm-hmm. for him than compared to the previous version mm-hmm. that sadly was blown up mm-hmm. last season. And this right here, the moral conundrum of do I protect my BFF and the love of his life or do I help my people? Well, my people are being assholes right now, <laughs> and my BFF and the love of his life are in danger. Yeah, any Chronicom, the way that you you have been presented that species, it it would be the logical thing for them to no. I'm sorry, they're human. They're not Chronicom, so I'm sticking with my people. I think Enoch can put everything on a, on a on a scale mm-hmm. and go look. I do want to help my people, but they've clearly run out of options. If we've got to jack in a couple of humans into one of our machines. So they don't know where we're going. Mm. So let's see what the humans can do. And that was the option that eventually was made and then showcased inside the episode. So I, I, again, I, I I dig the logic piece, the functionality, the, mm-hmm. the functional nature of what he finds inside of the compelling storytelling that's done. I think that's incredibly intoxicating. A stinger to paint the next series of episodes. This is really good. This is really good because giant chocolate black man <laughs> gets to talk to tiny little blonde lady. And it's it's terribly well done. It's that comic book feel again. It is. It's it totally literally is. It's that, it's that last page of a comic book mm-hmm. that sets up what the next issue is going to be. Right. It's not, ne- it's not necessarily a cliffhanger. It's that, all right, so we've resolved the story of this issue. Oh, wait, there's one more page. Ooh, things to come. Yeah. And we now know definitely that Sarge's people are responsible for the disaster of the Chronicom planet. All right, so even though they're doing good things, they're still doing bad things. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're still painting Sarge and his people as the villains of the season. These people have to be stopped. During this conversation, we don't even, uh, there doesn't seem to be, there's no mention of, the, you know, the guy running the team looks like Colson. So I'm wondering if we're still holding off that big reveal for Daisy when we finally see him, like in the same room together. I was like, oh my God, he looks like Colson. I, I, I don't, but, but that's why we 
sit patiently I'm, and wait for the next episode. I'm going to hope that at least somebody would have mentioned that. I you would I, think. I, y- y- yes, you would think. Yeah, you would. And you know what? She's still going to get the. <gasps> The right. taking her breath away moment because she can't quite still believe yeah. that he's not well, only I mean, alive. Being told but, something yeah. and then actually seeing it for yourself. Two I, different I, I, experiences. I think it might actually cost her some pain too because yeah. she's gonna she's gonna either hold back or not pull the trigger on liquefy mode, and it's gonna cost her because yeah. of it. I think. Did we just see a successful fractured flashback show? Nope. Because that's not what this was, but it was close. And it was definitely a bottle it, show. It, it definitely w- was a bottle w- episode. Without, without question. And if in the future we have to paint episodes that live within a series of past storytelling, as long as it's structured, conveyed storytelling with the actors and not just rewound video footage that's inserted from episode nine of season two. Right, yeah. Then I'm good. I'm absolutely good because it, the the creative power that has to happen for an episode like this is unimaginable. Mm-hmm. It's where the I, I'm trying to imagine the writing for this episode alone. Where did all of this, specifically this episode's writing, come from exactly? Because it doesn't just happen out of thin air. Yeah. It, it there's no way. There's no way. And the directionality that we have, we have so many little data ports that we can jack into inside of this episode, almost literally, to go into a variety of different directions. Right. There's no way that this was an accidental episode, and I love that they've painted it the way that they did. Well, not only that is, I mean, we 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 referred to it as a bottle episode at the beginning of the episode. I just referred to it here, but when you think of a bottle episode, a bottle episode, the the, the definition boils down to an episode that is supposed to help cut costs by having as few main actors as possible and as few sets. Well, here's the thing. Yes, we had a very small cast, Mm -hmm. mostly just two people, two people playing two roles. Mm -hmm. But go back and count how many sets there were. Mm -hmm. So for a bottle episode, this was a bottle episode to the nth degree. This is a bottle episode done Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. style. Mm. This is mm. a bottle episode in the Mary Marvel style. Mm. And if every show handled a bottle episode like this, bottle episodes wouldn't have the stigma that they do currently. Typically, this is the part of the episode where we have a cheeky push to break. But with the advent of so many marvelous memories and horrors inside of this episode, I think we're just going to push to break. That's what you think, Mike. We'll be right back. Podcasters, hear me. It is true what many of you have heard. You need to have your entire podcast library hosted, and as I speak, the solution is here. I stand here before you, truthfully, unafraid, because the podcast of Matrix is here. Let us shake these microphones, guests, and legacies. Plug into the real-world podcast hosting solution now at podcastermatrix.com. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great, cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can, with perpetual advertising. Here's how it works. Magazine, radio, and television ads are efforts that people might see or hear once, and then they're lost forever. Perpetual advertising provides you with the chance for repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, even years after it's originally inserted inside a podcast. So even after your advertising is included in a podcast years ago, Those efforts are still impactful, providing you with true return on investment. 
real impact thanks to perpetual advertising. Are you ready to change the way you and your company or organization advertises? Find out more and launch a unique perpetual advertising effort right now by visiting twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. Everyone, welcome back to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, a complete, detailed, and always educational review of each and every episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC and Hulu streaming. This time, Season 6, Episode 6, Inescapable. We reach the inescapable resumption of this episode, and we find ourselves opening our S.H.I.E.L.D. dossiers. The S.H.I.E.L.D. dossiers where Nick and I look throughout the episode and find either an actor's portrayal, something that happened inside the storytelling, or something else that tripped our collective review night fantastic. Nick, what do you got? It's almost impossible to pick one thing. <laughs> I, I mean, I could just be selfish and just shove the entire episode into my <laughs> dossier and be done with it. Uh, yes. I'm going to run the risk of getting all blubbery again. My S.H.I.E.L.D. dossier is filled with... The quote-unquote goodbye scene of Fitz. It's something we never got to see in last season. It's something that we just had to assume happened. Mm -hmm. And to have the whole cast for this one particular scene show up and to to see not only them dealing with the loss of Fitz, but then have Gemma dealing with the loss of Fitz, but then narrating it for a live Fitz. It's one of those gut-punching moments that, just like a real gut punch, the pain seems to radiate out. And for me, it was one of those things that I didn't realize that I needed to see this, as the you know the the family unit i mean the, you know they're a team but they're a family and to say goodbye but then to be conflicted with the fact that there is a fitz out there he's not gone but he's gone you know the fitz that we've we've had since he rescued us from the future that fitz yes he's gone but he's not gone and and colson's final words to Gemma before the flashback ends is get to work because he knows he's out there Go find him. And that blubbery man flesh moment is my shield dossier. Well, I'm going to cheat a little bit because you said you couldn't shove the whole episode in. Oh, I see. I am going to shove the whole episode in. (laughs) However, I'm going to shove it in from the perspective of the writers. Hmm. Okay. As a content creator and conjurer of many, many things that on the front end typically doesn't see the light of day which traditionally means that someone else gets the credit for most of just about everything that I do. Mm-hmm. I want to congratulate the writers of this episode for being able to craft a masterpiece. Yeah. The, there are so many nuances and flavors and little tiny candy gumdrop parts of this episode that I don't know how to actually tell you all about every one of them. Mm-hmm. And that's when you know that you've got something special, especially inside of a writing staff. We've known that we've had something special inside of the writing staff for, I think, a very long time. Yeah. We don't know that the writers are exactly the same as they have been for the last three plus seasons. Yeah, it fluctuates. But, wow. What, yeah, wow. My dossier is filled with the wonderful and ongoing writings of a writing staff that just know how to deliver satisfaction about all of these characters and the mythos that is agents of shield. And I know nothing about the comic books of agents of shield. Like is there even a comic book? Not currently. Actually shield doesn't even exist in the comics anymore. It's been dismantled. Okay. And and so I even call it a a better wonderment that Mm -hmm. they've been able to ride alongside the what's going on in the cinematic universe, graft over a series of characters and events and goings on that, that helped to foster along the brand, but there is nothing represented that they follow. They just write that shit and they write it so well. 
That's where we ask you guys, what's your Shield dossier this episode? Let us know by going over to our Facebook presence. That's facebook.com forward slash Shield Podcast. Chime in on one of the threads there or start your own and tell us what you think. On the rating inside this episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC and Hulu streaming, the scale works thusly. A 10 is on top of the heap. The marching boots of the soldiers of one Leopold. A 1 is on the other end of the scale. The ring girl is a 1 on the bottom of the heap. Everything starts at a 7 as an average. The numbers go up with positives, the numbers go down with negatives, and Nick... There are no halvesies. Nick, what do you got? I remember after watching this episode the first time, I sent you a message informing you that I may have just watched (laughs) the best episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. ever. And then I watched it again shortly after watching it for the first time just to make sure that I had seen the best episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. ever. And in my opinion, out of over a hundred episodes we've gotten so far, this one had everything. I laughed. I cried. The episode made me think about myself Mm -hmm. and my relationship. It's quality, man. It is absolute quality. I would give this so many tens, it's not even funny. But since I can only give it one ten, I give it... A 10. Yeah. But it deserves a hell of a lot more. It really does. In fact, it deserves so much that I Love You 3000, episode 6 of season 6. Wow. There you go. Because how do we count the ways? And the answer is rewind this episode. Yeah. And think about all the things that we still didn't get to to talk about inside this episode. Because there's so many. Oh, yeah. I mean, if we talked about everything we wanted to talk about, this could have been a five-hour episode. This would have been the five-hour episode of Agents (laughs) of S.H.I.E.L.D. There's no question. There's so many little minute details. If there was some way to pause and then write a note and pause and write a note, pause and write a note, that wouldn't be ridiculous. It would have happened with this episode. Because there are so many pictures that they're able to paint with just the mention of a couple of sentences that don't ever get fleshed out the way that some of the memories do because of them creating them literally. Right. The, the, the one big thing that we also didn't get to inside the episode review that we really do need to take a moment to is bringing back Leopold could have been incredibly game ending mm-hmm. because needing to go back to the well of Leopold because you need to go back to the well of the network is an incredibly enticing but brave choice that the writing staff and I have to thereby assume ABC choose to not take because it would be really, really easy. And it would be really, really easy to create another Matrix-like Matrix Dome, except that it's called the Network Dome. And they choose to not do it again, and I have to totally give them credit for that because, unfortunately, we live in a world of ease rights television very often. Yeah. Uh, There's a number of new series that have popped up because of cancellations of other great series that just remind me, what is our writing exactly? Because, uh, again, the show just does not get the accolade that it needs because it is writing at that high level. Oh, by the way, 10. (laughs) That's where we ask you guys, (laughs) what was your rating for this episode, season six, episode six? inescapable let us know what you think by going again over to our website over at agentsofshield.tv fill out our quick web form and tell us what you think until next time i'm mike wilkerson one of your hosts and i'm nicholas j hearn your other host thanks for listening and we'll see you next time and remember folks keep your inner demons under control thankful you were able to review this covert communication reviewing the most recent episode of marvel's agents of shield a chronicle of the stories and soon-to-be legends on abc be sure to tune in to our ongoing top secret communication with agents all over the globe via our facebook presence immediately facebook.com forward slash shield podcast to be the first to be made aware of agents of shield news the arrival of our newest reviews and more the agents of shield podcast a super show 
For fans of superheroes, uncover the mysteries, critical information, and reviews now by accessing agentsofshield.tv. That's agentsofshield.tv. End this top secret two guys talking communication. The marching boots of the soldiers of one Leopold. Why is that the good one? <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> I think I may have some deep-seated moments I need to review. Yeah, you might need some therapy, Wilkerson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly I, that. Exactly. Great point. <laughs> Insert the tone.